The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch and alone again. <laughs> We've had a few alone times. Yeah, man. Yeah. Andy Bishop, Rocket Man, through the glass with Greg in his lap. You can't. He's he's here. You just got to take our word for it. Your your rocket kind of sounds like Greg when he gets close and nuzzles. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I like how they have like uh, tongues like sandpaper. Yeah, his tongue. His he'll he'll be trying to be sweet and he'll just like lick your hand or something. Yes, and you just can't only take it for so long. Yes, <laughs> that's how rough they are. That's funny. He's just like all right. Well, so this is part three of Just a Conversation with Andy. Um, we've got into protology, some of the origins and the theology of the branch of the origins of things, the beginnings of things. And we went through a lot of Genesis and then basically the first five books. And we started talking about David and got kind of the point to Christ. We talked about the patch on the matrix, the the, the prophets, you know, when God would ins- insert them uh, to warn the people about this relationship. And I've been trying to drive this home. I've been trying to drive home what relationship actually is. And that is built on trust and something that is not easy for even humans to do with one another, much less a creator who knows all things and is completely holy with a finite thing that is completely broken. The relationship, it seems doomed from the start. And I think in a way it was. Um, Jesus, when he enters in on the scene, later on when men will write about him, they give him names like the Lamb of God. Um, they, They call him the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It was like an understood that he was always going to be the fix. and But man, God decided, this God that's in this Bible decided to go through this process of relating with his creation and this nation that he blessed uh, because of his friend Abraham, that he allowed the time to happen. You know, he... That's, in essence, what the Bible is doing. It's showing us across centuries how God, the Creator, is relating to His created things and the things that He's chosen to love. That's basically what's happening. So, but by the time Christ is on the scene, the nation has turned so far that when Jesus arrives, He is immediately upon His birth— it's within a couple of years, the king is trying to kill every child because they believe that the Messiah right, has arrived. Right, it was like a prophecy thing. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and so uh, he escapes to Egypt uh, by the, you know, what do they call it? The skin of his teeth? He escapes to Egypt and uh, because his father, Joseph, was warned in a dream. His father being his stepfather, according to what the authors say, is because he was a miraculously born child of a virgin. Christ comes back from Egypt and he comes to this little tiny town called Nazareth. 
And there's nothing in the scripture that really tells us that anything remotely important has been prophesied in regard to this little tiny town of Nazareth. That's why the authors make it very clear that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, because that's where it was promised that he would be born, but it wasn't soon after. But he had to move. Greg just swapped. Yep, he had to move out of fear. But whenever Jesus comes back out of Egypt to Nazareth, the authors of the New Testament, two of them especially, Matthew and Luke, those gospels that were written, give you the origin story of the Christ. And Mark does not. Mark enters in and it's like, like I've said, it's like a bullet train. As soon as you get to Mark, <laughs> hey, did Greg uh, add a new mic? <laughs> yeah, he, I saw he tapped the board there. He, he did. I, I'm sorry. I was like, I want my cat in here. No, it's and fine. now Greg's just being a, just a little <laughs> ball of trouble in every way possible. It's all good. No problem. So the Mark is like a bullet train. John is he is high Christological thought that Jesus is God. Uh, in human flesh. He's called the Word of God. But by the time Jesus arrives, the nation is in absolute peril. And it's interesting because when Jesus gets his disciples, he chooses his disciples. The disciples don't choose him. He chooses them. Does he? Yes. I was not actually aware of that. Yeah. So he, he goes through and says, follow me, follow me follow me, to all of them, and then they come with him. So he chooses, there comes a time when he looks at his disciples and says, behold, I have chosen you, you have not chosen me. So we get to that baseline of choice. When Jesus arrives, what kind of choices is this man, Christ, Jesus Christ, making that other men have not? And the one thing is this, he's much like Abraham, he's much like David, He's much like all of these other men that loved and knew and trusted the Creator. That's the relationship that he has. His difference is, is that he doesn't ever break that. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. He keeps it, his relationship with him all the time is right. He only cares about the will of God, which is unusual. That's an unusual man. That's never happened before. According to the Bible, right? I mean, there was the the one guy just cared, just believed, and he was like, "You're special, <laughs> Abraham." Yeah, one guy believed. He was like, "You're special." Exactly. So, so yeah, that was a. It seems a little more involved than that. Yes. So when we use the term preterism, when we're talking about the past, every every person that believes in the Bible. I don't know if they know this or not, are actually a preterist. And here's why. Because they believe that everything that Jesus did for their salvation has already happened. Because it happened in the past. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's what preterism is. It, it's a fulfillment in the past. It's believing that what happened in the past matters. So everyone is technically, if you're a believer, if you are a believer, everyone is a preterist in that respect. Now, where it begins to get different, and this is where the sects begin to split. And that's how we're going to, this third and final part, which is going to lead us, this is all just a lead-in to our Hebrew study, which we're going to do in 2023, which uh -huh. is coming. And I don't even know if this is released in 2022 or 2023. We'll see, but it's going to be yeah. released on different days. 
but we're leading up to this. The book of Hebrews is such a critical book because it describes the covenant that I've been talking about. Remember, it's all based on that covenant with his friend Abraham and how he promised those people, and so God kept the covenant. Well, there's a reason why we call it Old Testament and New Testament in the Bible is because that old covenant that God had with Abraham was broken by the nation of Israel. They broke it, and then Christ was sent, and Christ ultimately dies by the hand of that nation. Yep. That nation kills them, kills him. And the old covenant is broken, and technically God divorces the nation of Israel in its state at that time. But he adopts, and that's where we begin to hear the word adoption. Paul brings it in and talks to us about, talks to New Testament believers as we are adopted. Now, when Jesus was here, he sends out his disciples to go find his, to go tell people about him, to share the gospel, but he tells them something very particular. He says, do not go into the way of the Gentiles. I hear Greg in there. Oh, that's his, that's his box. Oh, he's in his box. Yes. He'll... <laughs> he's getting comfy. I, 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 maybe, maybe this time he's just finally decided to tear it up for some reason. <laughs> Oh, yeah. He's not getting your full attention. So he sends out the disciples and he says, go not under the way of the Gentiles. Only seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when I used to read that, it used to confuse me because I was always like, wait, I thought Jesus came for everybody. But Jesus is stating to his disciples whom he's chosen is sent out to only seek the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the reason why is because there's always what they call a remnant of the believers in Israel that know and love and trust God. As complicated as a relationship is, they know and love Him anyway. They're this special group that Uh just trust Him. They're like a bunch of little mini Abrahams running around. They believe Him. They just trust Him. And that group— those group in the midst of this apostate nation that is totally against God now, and then the Son of God arrives, and they're going to kill him. He says, go find the little Abrahams that are out there first. We've got to get them first, because once we do and we bring them in, we're going to help them escape. And that's what's going on, is they're escaping that nation Because shortly before Jesus dies, he begins to utter these words about judgment on that nation. So in in essence, God is breaking the relationship with the nation of Israel through his son, and he's telling his son how it's going to happen. And then they kill him. I'm just going to let him out. You got it. Cool. So, and then they kill him. So, again, we're just we're just doing this general overview of what the Bible is and what this relationship with the creator and the created thing is and why somebody like me, like, why would you believe that, Rick? <laughs> right? Why would you believe that? Well, do you remember when I talked about the importance of the breath? Oh, at yeah. At the very yeah. beginning? Do you yeah, remember the in the— 
That's right. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And also, we talked about how the Spirit of God could no longer put up with man, so he made him 120 years, like only 120 years. And that's why, because he is flesh. Yeah. Well, when Jesus meets with the leader of the nation of Israel, not the high priest, but the ruler of Israel, his name was Nicodemus, he explains to him that the only way that they can have a relationship with God anymore is that they have to be reborn. Born again is usually how you hear it, but you've got to be reborn. And, and Nicodemus is very confused by that. And he's like, I don't get it. And he says, listen, he's Nicodemus. literally. Yeah. And he's like, no, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And he says, marvel not that I said this, Nicodemus. Marvel not at this. What I'm telling you is that it's kind of like the wind. The wind goes wherever it wants. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going, but you do feel its existence. It's cotton-eyed Jonas, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so he's, you're aware of it. And he says, that's how the ones that are born of the Spirit are. That's how it happens. They're, it, it happens. Huh. Interesting. So Nicodemus is sort of confused. We do understand later that Nicodemus does become a believer. But at that moment, he's explaining to him that there's something that is changing. So, he goes and he seeks the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He gathers them up. Then he goes to the very heads of state at the time, at the temple, takes over the temple pretty much, and then he he tells them, I'm going to destroy the very center of worship. So, let's get into the temple just a little bit and the tabernacle so that you understand the importance of this and why the sects in Christianity split. So, I'm going to explain how the sects of Christianity how they split to the best of my ability. Again, like I said, off the cuff. All right. So, but let's get back into the tabernacle and all this. All right. So, when God creates this nation, you remember in the first five books that there's this time when he says, create this tabernacle. And the tabernacle is the place where God will reside. God is with man, his man, his choice men, those Hebrews. So he's going to walk, they're going to walk around with, with this, ta- they're going to be in this tabernacle. That's where the holies of holies are. That's where the priests deal. Oh, okay. Sorry, I just realized what's going on. You cut your mic off. <laughs> yeah, Greg's going bananas up in there. <clears throat> so God is with man. When it, whenever he's with the Hebrews, he's with them. And it's at the tabernacle where the Holy of Holies is. God resides in that place. So that is when God is with men. And then Solomon builds a temple. And then he has a Holy of Holies inside this temple. And God comes there and he is with them in the temple. Then there comes a time when Isaiah promises the future coming Messiah as Emmanuel, which is God with us. Now, God with us in Isaiah 7 is eating curds and honey. He's actually able to eat. He's a physical being. He's a person. He's going to be walking with them. So now God is truly with us. And then the temple Mm. itself has become a problem. It's run by these, the wrong people, these overemphasizing on the wrong point lawyers that are holding the people down. Yeah, and concerned with power. And- yeah, exactly. And so what happens is, is that Jesus proclaims judgment 
on the very place where God is. You see? Yeah. That's a problem because they're looking at it like, who are you? And he's like, uh, we're going to leave this house desolate. You are all, all of you crazy lawyers are wrong. You've got it all wrong. You don't trust the God. You don't have the relationship with the God that you think you do. Absolutely. Revolutionary. Yes. And so in order to have a relationship, you start learning that the God with us, who is Christ, his relationship style is very unique, very unique indeed. And it's based on love and sacrifice. It's something that God is telling man through his son is that I am, I love you and I'm going to sacrifice myself so that we can have this relationship. And the only way that'll happen is if I provide it and that I'm going to give you grace like you've never seen before, grace like you've never seen. So the people that are, you know, the lawyers of the time, the hardcore people of the time, he tells them, I'm going to destroy that place where your God was because your God's not actually there. So whenever Christ is crucified, it says that the veil that's over the Holy of Holies in that temple ripped from the top to the bottom, it opened up, and God's presence was no longer with them. And God's presence was not. Christ dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. These are the stories of the New Testament that we all understand. Now, it's how we understand these stories that breaks us apart. Some people believe that whenever the Roman government or the Roman army came and destroyed the temple in AD 70, that it mattered so much based on what Jesus said, that it fulfilled all prophecies and sealed up every vision and prophet that had been yep. that patch in the matrix Daniel <laughs> back in the day said that you will seal up vision and prophet forever at this point. So there are some that, that actually say, okay, um, if the temple is destroyed completely, and the Jews are eradicated and sp- scattered completely, then everything is completely fulfilled. And that is an eschatological view that they call full preterism or hyperpreterism. I don't, whatever you want to call it, that's the name of it. That's what they call it. Everything is fulfilled. They believe that Christ's return and the promised return was the destruction of the temple. That is full preterism. All of it. Yes. Then you have the next group, partial preterists. They don't necessarily believe that all things were fulfilled. They'll look at Matthew 24, they'll go up to a certain verse, they'll stop, and they'll say, all of that has been fulfilled, but this isn't, and they'll use other texts from other parts of the scriptures to sort of build their case on why their eschatological view differs from that of the full preterist. Not all things are fulfilled. Some things have yet to be fulfilled. That's what a partial preterist would be, okay? Then you have all millennial, and then you, let me— I, There's, I, Yeah, these are two where I'm just like, what? Yeah, so I'm here's lost what, here in the sauce on these next ones. Exactly. So here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you the actual definition of all millennial. All millennialism is one of four views of the end times regarding the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Each of the four views differs in the placement or the timing of the 1,000-year reign mentioned in Revelation 20. An all-millennialist sees the 1,000 years as spiritual and non-literal, as opposed to a physical understanding of history. Although the prefix a would typically signifies a negation of a word, the Amil position sees the millennium as realized or better explained as millennium now. To simplify, 
Amillennialism sees the first coming of Christ as the inauguration of the kingdom and his return as the consummation of the kingdom. John's mention of 1,000 years thus points to all things that would happen in the church age. In the church age. The Amill position sees the book of Revelation as having numerous camera angle approaches. For instance, chapter 19 ends with Christ returning to destroy his enemies, making chapter 20 difficult to understand in that enemies arise to attack again. What enemies are these if they've already been destroyed? However, So they're already beginning, even in with the definition, they're already beginning to argue a point. Yeah, right, right. You see how quickly that happens? All right, so let's go to the next one. I want to call it post, we're going to talk about post-millennialism. All right. Again, remember I say uh, eschatology or end times theology or the study of the future. Uh, Postmillennialism or postmillenarianism is an interpretation of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, which sees Christ's second coming as occurring after the millennium, a golden age in which Christian ethics will prosper. The term sub subsumes several similar views of the end times, and it stands in contrast to premillennialism and to a lesser extent, amillennialism. So I've already described amillennial, which yeah. is like this ongoing Christ time. We're in the kingdom age. We're in the millennium is yeah. what they would say. Postmillennium believes that there's a time of where Christian ethics or a golden age will happen after uh -huh. the destruction. Then it's gonna we're going to go to premillennialism. So premillennialism is what I was raised in. The Southern Baptist Church in North Carolina, um, churches are a premillennial church, okay? And premillennial is this. Premillennialism in Christian eschatology is the belief that Jesus will physically return to the earth before the millennium, a literal thousand-year golden age of peace. Premillennialism is based upon a literal interpretation of Revelation 20, 1 through 6, in the New Testament, which describes Jesus' reign in a period of a thousand years. Domin denominations such as Oriental Orthodoxy, Eastern Orthodoxy, Catholicism, Anglicanism, Presbyterianism, and Lutheranism are generally amillennial and interpret Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6, as pertaining to the present time, a belief that Christ currently reigns in heaven with the departed saints. Such an interpretation views the symbolism of Revelation as referring to a spiritual conflict between heaven and hell rather than a physical conflict on earth. All millennialists do not view the millennium mentioned in Revelation as pertaining to a literal thousand years, but rather as symbolic, and see the kingdom of Christ as already present in the church beginning with the Pentecost in the book of Acts. Premillennialism is often used to refer specifically to those who adhere to the beliefs in an earthly millennial reign of Christ, as well as a rapture—you've heard mm -hmm. of that—of yeah. the faithful coming before dispensational, which means before, yep. or after, which is historic, or the historicist view, after the Great Tribulation preceding the millennium. For the last century, the belief has been common in evangelicalism, according to surveys on this topic. All millennialists do not view the thousand years mentioned in Revelation as literal thousand years, but see the number thousand as symbolic and numerological. Premillennialism is distinct from other views such as postmillennialism, which views the millennial rule as occurring before the second coming. Hmm. So, all of this is just 
based on this Revelation 20 when it describes this millennium, all right? So when you see all these different sects of church, whether you're Presbyterian or Catholic or Anglican or you're Lutheran or whatever, it's coming from man's interpretation of specific points of this Bible. And and these are all based on mostly reinterpretations of the same one? Is yes. Is that what's happening? Wow. The same Bible. Well, I mean, the same verse. Yeah, the same verse. It's just yeah. interpretive, Okay. So here's where it gets a little hairy, and this is why I wanted to start the podcast. You see, when you learn, especially as a child, when you learn a specific interpretive belief and you hold to that belief, it is very difficult to look at a different view. And unfortunately, what happens is the relationship that you could have with another believer who has a different opinion could actually become strained. And the reason why is because the group think takes over. Right. If you aren't believing what my group is believing, then we have a problem. You're not believing in the right God, therefore you're a problem. Right. You're a heretic or you're whatever. Well, I disagree with that. Um, I've had enough burning at the stake. I'm a little bit over that now. The Catholic Church, the Inquisitions, the things that happened when you didn't believe exactly as the group says yeah. that you should believe and those that were in charge, they created this hatred of anyone that disagreed with their interpretation of this book. To me, it's a pretty simple way of looking at it, okay, for me. You're not allowed to hate anybody. The things that the Bible teaches, we all agree actually on what Jesus said, is to love one another even as he loved us. That's what Jesus is teaching that all Christians have to agree on. I I, I... I mean, it's. I think it's a good point, and it's one that you. Uh, I feel like you're careful to try to make now and again. Yeah, that, I, I've but, always bring it home to that. Yeah, don't don't forget all the things that we do agree on. Right, which is true in a larger sense about everything. It's really, it's important to try to remember that about people, especially the ones you don't. Sure. Some certain points you don't agree with. Yeah. Recently, I had. I've been because of the growth of the podcast, because of its popularity, and because of how. I personally have led us towards the preterist, especially mm-hmm. the full preterist view. I'm I'm introducing the view. It's the view that I hold. Yeah. It's the view that I came to over time. It took me a long time. I came to that view. Now, Sarita Edgerton sits in this room, and she's a premillennial dispensationalist. I actually love Sarita very much, and she is allowed to hold that view. Sure, our worldviews might be different. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, That's the yeah, reason why absolutely. we went to Berean. We were talking about the preterist worldview versus the dispensational. They kind of got off track sure. and became a Christian worldview versus a non-Christian. But regardless, if I look at Sarita and Sarita says, I believe that Jesus is coming back next year, and therefore I'm not going to allow my son to attend college. I want him to stay close to me and my family. They're going to work in my business with me, and we're going to prepare for Jesus to come. She has the right to do that, Okay. She has the right. That's how they've interpreted it. That's what they believe. But the same Jesus that said that to love one another, we have that in common. We all have that in common. We're not allowed, I'm not allowed to look at them and scream. I've made fun of people and I've used all the stuff, you know, like, hey man, why don't you do this? You know, I do my little crap that I do, which is me. But at the core of who I am, what I'm trying to explain to everyone is that Throwing the word around like heretic and yelling and screaming, I have seen enough of it, enough that it's just it's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's funny. 
I guess I don't understand that. Maybe it's just, it's easy for me to be like, I don't understand why two Christians with different beliefs would fight like that. But but it does seem like, yeah, you know, I guess I understood it more when I was younger. Yeah. You know, as you get older, you kind of start to, eh. those corners wear off and you're just <laughs> like, oh God, let's just all, you know. Why can't we just get along? Why can't we just get along, <laughs> man? Well, and that's, for me, it's, um, you you said something one time. You said, I, do, I don't mind the words of Jesus. In fact, I don't have a problem with them. But I do have the, a problem with some of the words that you're using. And you were talking to an individual. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's brilliant. Like, I totally get that. Yeah. Like, at least you can see what Jesus was trying to say. Like, you need to love one another. You need to take care of each other. You need to use your money to help others. You need to clothe the sick. Or not clothe the sick. You need to clothe those that are naked. You need to give that money to the poor. You need to help those who don't have food by feeding them. If someone is in prison, go and visit them. They're, you can rehabilitate. They need to know that they're still cared for. You can work with them. You know, Jesus says all of these amazing things, and you're like, oh, yeah, I totally see that. And I, that's the hippie guru, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Love. No problem. But I do have a problem with you who are trying to take over my government and rule over me with your state supported Christian yeah. ethics or whatever it might be. Like it's not even the Christian ethics. It's the the possibility that those that are divergent from my morals guide laws, which of course I mean, you know, anybody would have a problem with that word the other way around, obviously. Sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So ultimately what I would like, you know, what's coming in 2023 is a study on the book of Hebrews. And this has sort of been a precursor for that. I want everybody to be prepared for that because what what Hebrews is going to do is it's going to teach us what this better covenant is. And whether you're pre-millennial or post-millennial or all-millennial or full preterist or preterist or whatever, you all have to agree on what the Hebrew writer is saying because it is in the canon of Scripture. Otherwise, tear up the book. Tear it up, because we're all reading a book. And if you're going to yell and scream at each other, then tear it up. You're not, you're not actually listening to the book. Hebrews is explaining and was put in the canon, and we don't know who wrote it, and we don't even know who it goes to. In fact, Origen, one of the early Christian writers, said, only God knows who wrote it. Yeah. But what we do know is that it made it into what we call the canon, and that's the accepted Bible by the majority of Christians alive. Sure, absolutely. So if you're going to read a book and it's going to be your authority, then read it, but then stop beating the crap out of everybody else that disagrees with your personal viewpoint. Yeah, interpretations of said book. Let's try to find some common ground here. And before you start trying to take over the government, because, listen, I'm sorry, and I'm going to be really yelled at about this. If you can't get along with each other, if you Christians cannot get along with each other, do you think I want you leading me anywhere? You're not going to lead me anywhere because I can't hear it. I can't hear a word you're saying. Yeah. All I can see is the hate you're spewing. Sorry, not interested. Now, if I start seeing people giving the shirt off their backs to others, if I see them stop relying on the government to handle all of the charity in the world, 
if I see people like I love, that's one of the reasons why I love Sarita. Sarita has dedicated her life to helping other women who are having these issues sure. with pregnancy yeah. or abortion or whatever. She's dedicated her life to that man. She went through it. She believed God brought her through it, and now she's returning that. That's the relationship with the created thing to the creator. She says, I love you and thank you for what you've done for me. I'm going to continue doing it for these created yep. things that you've made. That's the choice that she's made. I can go with that all day sure, absolutely. long. Sure. If she turns around and starts yelling at me about some other things, that's fine, but I'll hug her at the end. You know, but when it comes to and and Ralph does the same. Ralph, Ralph will at the end of the day, he'll say, Look, man, if you believe in Jesus, if you love Jesus, you and I aren't going to really fight about this, right? And if you are respectful, even Jesus says this, Jesus says this about people that don't necessarily believe in him. This is what Jesus says. If they're for me, then they're not against me. If they're for me, then they're not against me. Why are you over there screaming like, no, 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 you're not good enough because you don't believe exactly like me. Wrong. If they're for him, they're not against him. So don't beat them. Let them be for him. That's good. Then, oh, but if you don't believe it the way I do, then stop trying to be a leader in my nation if you are not treating people with dignity and respect. There are a lot of people in a lot of different stages of Look, you've heard all these episodes, guys. You've heard people that have been sexually abused, raped by pastors. You've heard people that were raped as children and how they've had to come through all of that. Their their worldview has been skewed for a very, very, very long time, and they're getting to a good place in their lives, and now they're trying to turn and help others that may have been going through the same thing. And you're going to yell and scream about their eschatological view? Right, right. Wake up, people. You're really— You're going to call somebody who has spent 45 years of their lives writing to the best of their ability how they understand the scriptures and relaying that information a joke? You're going to use that terminology? You're going to call them a clown? Yeah. Uh, I don't care what you might think, but the minute you start using that kind of rhetoric, beep, I'm done. Well, and here's the thing. It's not just that. It's because— People know at some level that that is disingenuous when you start using that sort of rhetoric yeah. because nobody using that sort of rhetoric is actually trying to have a conversation. They're not. They're not. They never are. We've all been that person. No. We've been that person. I've, I've heard terms like, oh, they're just attention whores. Yeah, they're dunk. I'm, they're just trying to dunk. They're just trying to like, yeah, you know, so they can like high five their butts and feel good about themselves. I guess, that's, yeah. That's, and that's, that's really what it's about, you know? It's, <laughs> it's, it's an adrenaline rush. It is a performative thing. The performance is for them themselves. Yep. I don't mean even for society. Yeah. And they're and they're doing it because of the little chemical high they feel like they get from dunking on somebody. Right. I extended an olive branch out to one of them, one of them that just he leveled something on Don Preston, whom mm. I who I care for very much. He's a he's a wonderful man. And um <laughs> he uh this guy called him a joke and and I reached out and I was like you know, really? Like you're the, who are you to reach, you're going to level this man that's worked 50 plus years putting out all this information, a life study, and you're just going to call him a joke. I tell you what, (laughs) why don't you come on our show and tell us what you believe? Let's hear what you have to say. No way. He tells us, you can go kick rocks, he says. I'm like, fine, you know, but I'm going to extend the olive branch and I'm saying it right now. You know, I've invited you to be on our program. That's fun. And I'm Just the the whole like, all right, that's fine. Hey, come on, let's go. Yeah, let's hear what you got to say. Yeah, you can talk to. You're not gonna. Yeah, I mean, we're not so much. We believe in loving one another, including our enemies, and that includes you. 
That includes you, sir. And you know who you are. You're probably not even listening to my show, but no, the others not. who do know who I'm talking about. Now, so let's let's wrap this episode up and finalize this third part in saying this. We're going to be getting into the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is explaining to the nation of Israel during this period, the full preterists believe that it's a 40-year period, that it is a symbolic period, that the, that's what full preterists believe. Some some partial preterists, they believe it as symbolic. Then you have premillennial that believe it's a literal thousand years, whatever it might be. You're going to get into some delineations about the understanding of Hebrews. But what I'm going to do is carefully go through. I'm not going to go verse by verse. There's plenty of people out there. But I'm going to do the best exegesis that I can on each chapter to let you see what the author is trying to communicate to a set of believers living in AD 65, who are under extreme persecution by the emperor Nero and who are trying to leave the faith because they're terrified and their families are being bludgeoned to death. And he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up. The time is at hand. It is coming. The end of the age is coming. Yep. And that was 2,000 years ago. So we need to understand what the Hebrew writer is saying so that we can understand what the new covenant era is and what the kingdom covenant is. And if you are not loving your neighbor, you are missing the boat. And so that's what we're going to be getting into, man. I'm super excited about it. That's great. And you're going to learn a message. About, you can't, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you got, I, I, I contend when Christ came, when he said to love your enemies, man, it changed everything. That's what changed everything for me. When I, you know, I've talked about some of the stuff that's happened in my past, and I said I was able to reconcile it because I was able to love even them who did those things because I understood that they had things most likely done to them as well, yeah. because it is the world in which we live. And so being able to extend that and to forgive and to love is something that Christ taught himself. And everyone that was around him changed from one thing to another because of him. And that's what that's what happened to me. And so, yes, I do believe, and yes, this book is authoritative to me, and my life has changed because of it. But I refuse, and I want all my listeners to refuse, to let this evil, horrible rhetoric divide the church any longer. If you are not loving one another and loving others who do not know how to love one another, then you're missing the boat completely. And that's what needs to be unlearned. We need to learn to love again. <laughs> to love again! That was nice. You need to learn to love again. I know. I'm trying to think of a song. There has to be a song, and I'm not. It's that, the Beatles. Oh, all is, you need is love, love. Love, love is all, all you, you need. need. Yeah, that's pretty good. Anyway, well, that wraps up that three-part series. Now I have solved all of your problems. There it is. There it is. You brought everyone together. Good yeah. job, Rick. Wait till you get. To, when I've been, I've been describing Welchianism, and and I and I laugh, guys. Don't ever say you believe in Welchianism because that is a joke. It's a joke, folks. What I am saying, <sighs> sorry, um, basically what, in essence, I've been trying to say is that um, preterists really point out time, time statements that matter. This generation shall not pass all of these things yep. in place. There are those standing here today that will not taste death until these th you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, or whatever it might be, these time frames. And whether or not you have choice or not, whether you're a Calvinist or an Arminianist or whatever it might be, or if you're a universalist and you believe everybody is saved, or all of these things, I have these theories that I've used based on these new um, concepts that I've learned in studying the Bible that have it's helped me develop 
um, this calmness and this humbleness and this love towards other people that I'm so excited about that I keep trying to share it. But <laughs> man, it does not need to become a religion. <laughs> it's a, it doesn't did, take long. Did you see some? Did you see some people making like some? Welchian jokes that were a little no, it's too m- like close to the boat or something. Kinda. Like, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa! Like, oh yeah, oh I know about Welchianism. Oh yeah, <laughs> you yeah, know. Like, and it's like, yeah, just uh, like better stop let's saying be, that. Let's be clear. That's me just, making a little hee-hee. Just remember, if you're Welch, you're Welching on a bet. Yeah. That's the only. That's the word. Sorry, Andy. This has been fun, man. Thanks for sitting in and listening to me. You know. Yeah, man. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, I do, I do enjoy the the. The one-on-ones when they come occasionally, I just too. for you know, just usually like this, like backfill, so we can move on to a subject or something. But it's yeah. always neat. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, we will talk to you again next time on the Burrows of Berea. Goodbye. Peace out. Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea. You'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys. I love all of those. I lo- First of all, kudos to you for being able to, to leash train Greg, but I've seen the pictures and it looks like so much fun. It is. It's just, it's a little, you have to be very patient because they kind of act like prey animals. Well, yeah. I mean, they are, right? Right, right. Absolutely. There's yeah. plenty of things that can prey on a cat. So they just like, they have that sort of like caution and fear. And like the idea of walking straight through the middle of a field to a cat is a wild idea. Like, yeah. that's not, you know, they go around the side and stuff. They got to cross something, they'll cross it, but they're not going to just hang out in the middle where, you know, God and every hawk and dog that ever existed can see them. So they like, they don't move like dogs. So you got to really be patient. And then some days you see dogs and other people and like, he'll get really nervous and it will make the pace like grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. And it's, that's, you know, so you got to, there's some days when it's better than others. Yeah, I like the ones, especially. I, I are you at Jackson Park? No, I've been going to this little park near a uh, uh, Laurel Park. Oh, okay. Uh, that I don't know. I didn't even know it was there for most of my life, but it's a small park and there's kind of lighter traffic, and I don't. Know, yeah, I just felt like going there. It's like there's a little stream, it, like you know. It, does does uh, Greg try to go after like little fish or look at the water or he, anything? He plays in the water. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, just with his paw. It's not like he's not about to get in. Not but, a chance. No. But he'll like he'll bap the water and he likes to stare in the creek yeah. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. So are we rolling.